and amazing things to, to learn from uh, kind of the, the one story that we always hear about with Abraham, but I find that there's lots of new insightful things to, to learn here. Um, let's see. So just in the chat really quick. So Stefan says, uh, what time is the Sunday class? And it's at seven mountain daylight time. So with, I think Arizona is at six and um, anyway, cause they don't uh, do the, the daylight savings time or anything like that. So that's why we had such a miscommunication on our times there. But yeah, um, for, for me in Idaho, it's gonna be seven o'clock. <laughs> Um, so yeah, diving into the, the sacrifice of Isaac. Now, I find it interesting, uh, as it just kind of jumps into the, the story here, that um, it seems that it was a, a request and not so much a command. Uh, on page 208, um, it says that, that God was essentially saying, I request of you. And Jewish tradition similarly records the Lord as saying, please. And I find that that's an interesting uh, thing to to think about when the the Lord is um, asking this of his friend, you know, like, I command you to go and sacrifice your son in similitude of me kind of a thing, versus, will you please do this? I, I find that that's a, a, a different paradigm that, that I hadn't thought of before. I, I think that that's an interesting thing to, to bring to it. Um, any other thoughts about uh, this whole section here where um, prior to, to him and Isaac and the lads going up to Mount Moriah, what other insights and things did you glean out of, um, of this section, the, the preparatory phase uh, leading up to the, the sacrifice here? So I just wanted to clarify that uh, Muslims believe that it was Ishmael. Thank you. Ishmael that, that was requested to be sacrificed. Is that right? Or do they believe that he went up there? And then who were just the two other lads, just like helpers, servants? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great questions. Um, That's so my understanding. That's what we were told when we went to Israel. Mm -hmm. that, you know, they believe Ishmael was the promised son and the head of the generations and all that. So did they, do they think that both sons went or just one? No, just one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they think we're crazy because we think it was Isaac and, and we think, I mean, we don't think that they're crazy. That's the wrong word. Forgive me, <laughs> whoever's watching this on a recorded thing later. <laughs> Nobody thinks anyone's crazy, but- We you know, just have a disagreement. Yeah, a disagreement as to which son it was, but you know, obviously it's, it's ours, <laughs> but but yeah, it, it seems to be Isaac that that is the the covenant son, the covenant blessing. Although, you know, as we've uh, learned from from previous things and and here in, um, uh, well, the the rest of the book too, that, that Ishmael is very much uh, regarded as a uh, a son in favor, standing with with Abraham. He's not just cast off forever, kind of a thing that both sons have an important role in God's plan, especially for the end time. Oh, Cameron, I was just gonna say, I remember when I went on my mission, um, one of the stories I heard uh, from the brethren was that they had asked a group of missionaries to please move to the front. Uh, so the missionaries could fill into the back of the tabernacle. Uh, 
And of course, none of the missionaries moved, right? And so then afterwards, um, maybe five or 10 minutes later, another brethren got up and said, you know, when the brethren uh, suggest that you should and invite and suggest that you come up, that isn't just simply a suggestion. That's they're wanting you to do that. So would you please move and come up now? And I can't help but to think that that's kind of the same thing with Abraham and Heavenly Father. We may say it's a wish, but Abraham was so close to Heavenly Father and knew him so well. He knew that his wish was really uh, him asking that this needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that example there. Because how many times have we <laughs> done that? You know, just this last week in our Priesthood Relief Society joint thing in the in the chapel. You know, everyone, would you please move up kind of thing. Nobody does. It's always the same thing. But um, it's not because the teacher is just asking it for fun it's <laughs> they're they're wanting and so they're just asking please it's it's how you do it politely but you know <laughs> i i love that connection here with um what god is is requesting saying please um uh, of abraham his friend and and it's very telling in abraham's reaction here you know like it points out that um this is the man who who just pled uh with fervor for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why didn't he plead with the same fervor for, for Isaac here? Like, oh, Heavenly Father, please, if I can just spend one more month with Isaac and, or this or that, you know, like why didn't he negotiate on Isaac's behalf versus Sodom and Gomorrah? It's a to totally different scenario here. Uh, this, is, this is a request. This is uh, something that, um, that Abraham is showing his love for God and and anything that that He asks, He knows that it wouldn't be contrary to His will. Uh, I, I just love that insight into Abraham here and and the kind of contrasting stories that we have almost back to back. I think also like in Sodom and Gomorrah, He was pleading because the people were wicked, mm -hmm. but He trusted Heavenly Father. He knew the covenant. He knew that His Son wasn't wicked. So there's a little bit of a difference because he was pleading for their souls. He knew that Isaac was was a covenant, right? Mm -hmm. And keeping his covenants. And so whether he lived or died, he would be blessed and belong to Heavenly Father, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So maybe that's why he didn't plead. If he pled, it would have been for himself, not on behalf of others. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It would have been a self-serving kind of a plea versus. Yeah, I love that he trusted Heavenly Father so much that he didn't even question. And I just think about things that happen, you know, how come I got in that car accident or what, you know, and we, how often we question on things that seem big to us, but maybe not as big. And, and we just always, I don't know, it just seems like it's just a nature to question all the time. Mm -hmm. Why did I get the answer to marry this person? And now you're telling me to leave, right? Like this has been a bad experience in this marriage or whatever, you know, people have all sorts of different experiences and we always tend to question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think that it makes it more intense because in the very beginning it says, 
that God apparently at night, Orson Hyde states, the spirit of the Lord came unto Abraham. While Josephus tells us that God actually appeared to him. So I don't know. It's more intense. I think if he actually shows up and talks to you, like, it's not just like, oh, I have this feeling I'm supposed to do it. Like, it's like a, like a face-to-face. Mm-hmm. I mean, he calls him by name. And, and he says, here I am, Lord. What willest thou of thy servant? Like, I, I feel, I never knew that that had happened. So I think yeah. that makes it more intense. And I'm like, I don't know if you'd be like, well, I got a new idea for you, Lord. Like, I don't know if that's such a, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a time to be pleading when he's right there telling you, this is what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, I, as I think about Abraham, he, he had to have an incredible relationship with, with the heavenly father in order to just say, okay, I'll go do it. I mean, I think any one of us would be asking, am I listening to the right source? Is this really the right thing? How do I know that, you know, this is, this is really heavenly father and it's not Satan. I mean, he's, he's being asked to do something that he's been taught and taught all his life is wrong. Go out and murder somebody. And the only way he could do that is, is to have had such a relationship that he knew absolutely the source this was coming from. Mm-hmm. and complete trust in the lord to be able to even even the thought of doing it would take so much faith right mm-hmm. well so, it's like nephi right mm-hmm. not only that but i feel like um you know we're asked to sacrifice all that we have and i think that he understood that fully and so maybe it was that he just knew, like, you gave me him. And so you're asking him for him. Of course, I'll give it to you because you've given me all, you know, even though it was his prize, like the only thing he ever really wanted. I think that um, that's what is so beautiful about Abraham is he was willing and he recognized that this was something that Heavenly Father had given him. And, and if he truly believed that all things came from God, then it, it was just like, okay, well, here's it back here. Here you go back. Cause this was already a gift that you had given me. And so I, I try, you know, in a very small way, I, I just love his example in doing that because in essence, that's like the law of consecration, right? We, we, we get all these things and then we're, we, we take them back and say, okay, here it is. But then what did he get? He got his son back. And, and oftentimes when we we give the Lord our all, he gives us so much more in return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I love that, Sarah. I wonder also if Abraham was like, well, if he wants me to sacrifice Isaac, I'm willing to do that. He gave us one son, he can give us another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about what was going through his mind prior and then on the three-day journey kind of thing. Like, all right, well, maybe... Uh, he'll have me bring him back from the dead, you know, use the priesthood power. Maybe that's another sign or, or, or something that I need to learn here or, you know, like various different things. We have no idea. It, it's going to be great to finally get to, to interview Abraham and, and find out, <laughs> okay, what happened here? Like, what was your, your process? How did you, um, uh, 
how did you come to get grips with this on this three-day journey? You know, that's quite a, uh, an amazing uh, thing to have to go through and, and hear that story from his own lips. Um, but yeah, I, I find all of those uh, and questions. He, and Abraham's like so amazing that I can't, I can't even identify with it. How like, yeah, the awe of seeing an angel or talking to God. Yeah. But then he doesn't stop to reason or argue, like you said, but he simply went without complaining or murmuring. Like I like, he's so Abraham's so good. Sometimes I'm like, I just don't, I it's beyond me that mm -hmm. so you could do that for three days. You're walking this journey with your son and not murmuring or complaining or, or any of those, I guess he's, he's taken the, the, cardinal man out of him right the what how do you say that like the the natural the, man the natural man and just yeah that's just amazing to me mm -hmm. yeah what's what's interesting is spencer w kimball says he goes with a breaking heart and can't you just imagine as a father you know the feelings and you're not like kathy said you, he's not murmuring He's not complaining to his son. His son really has no idea probably what's going on in his head uh, other than, you know, the Lord will provide kind of deal. And then you have to ask yourself, well, why in the world do I have to trudge through 40 miles in three days, uh, which isn't a really fun journey to begin with in and of itself. And why am I going to Mount Moriah and, and, then to figure it all out later is just just incredible. I mean, it's it is the story that you look at uh, when you think of faith in 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 the Old Testament, right? Well, then also I, his childhood, right? I agree. Mm -hmm. yeah, you sure. you mean when he was sacrificed or was yeah when his dad right. tried to sacrifice him and then right. You just have to have such a relationship with the Lord that you know that this is right, even though you knew it was wrong when you were younger, right? Which is all the more reason why this is so abhorred to him. Right. He had to know that this was God speaking to him. He had yeah. to know that uh -huh. because of his experience as a child. Right. That being said, it reminds me a lot of like what what Abrahamic experiences were, are we going to be asked to, to do? Because our prophet recently, you know, has specifically said, I, I don't think any, I think most of us could quote the recent one that we would not be able to withstand the coming days without that constant guiding influence of the Holy Ghost. And I can't help but think that some of us will be asked to do things that unless we knew it was the Lord that asked us to do it we won't be able to do it. And I think that's why he's asked us to study and, and learn of, um, you know, Israel and things like that, because I think we, I think we may be asked to do certain things, but we, we need to know that it's number one from the Lord and number two, to have the faith and the courage to do the things that we're asked because we know that it's from the Lord and, and we can move on and try the hardest time. I'm a complainer, so I don't know how I'm going to do, but I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to change my ways. <laughs> this has I, been a great example. I was kind of, as my oldest son was in the process of having his own struggles and leaving the church, 
one night without asking, I was given kind of a message for him. And one of those was to know the voice of the Lord so well that when it speaks to you, you don't question and having the faith to act. And so the examples that were kind of given is if the Lord told you to say, put your hand out and shock those people or tell them, if you touch me, you will die. Just like Nephi, right? If you heard that, would you go, wait, what did I really, you know, so I don't know if it's always necessarily going to be like Abraham, that kind of a thing, or, or like a Nephi thing, it could be both. But do we know the spirit well enough that if it told us to tell people, if you touch me, you will die, would we have the faith to, to say that and know with conviction that that would happen? Because those don't seem like normal things to us. It seems like Nephi thing, but that's not me. And so I just, I wanted to share that with you. Yeah. yeah, thank you. There's one other thought that I'd like to share if I could. Um, Abraham had all of the faith in the Lord to do what he was going to do. But look at Isaac. I mean, he was, he was a young man, but he still could have got out of it if he would have wanted to. But he had enough faith in the Lord and also enough faith in his father to know that what his father was going to do was what the Lord had asked him to do. That was one thing I wish that they had talked about more is in all the paintings he's depicted as a child, yet I've heard like 20 years and 40 years, and I don't think there was much about his age that, you know, when I was younger, I was taught he just went and he didn't know. And then as I got older, I was taught that he did know but he was willing. Mm -hmm. And so I wish there was a little bit more about his age, but there's nothing, I guess, written in other documents about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like if you're following the, the timeline at the, the beginning of the book, he's uh, somewhere around 25-ish. Um, some people have uh, surmised that he was 33, again, pointing to Christ. Um, uh, we just don't know, but that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's very much a similitude of Christ in, in this whole scenario here. And I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was. I also think it's interesting to look how this book has progressed and all of the challenges and all of the things he's been through. It's not like heavenly father said out of the blue, okay, dude, you're going to go sacrifice your son. Like he has been through this tried and shown and proven his love for for heavenly father and they have a friendship i think it calls it a friendship mm -hmm. or did i read that somewhere else you, after you read so much you can't remember where you yeah. read it but um and then like in it talks about in 209 the secret was his alone like he didn't even tell his son he would keep his beloved son safe from pain and anxiety as long as possible shouldering the entire overwhelming burden as long as he could but i have to think that that and just like all the other heroes of our scriptures it didn't happen in one day it was a faith building one thing after another after another and how heavenly father's not going to make us do something until he's built us up strong enough am i do you follow me mm -hmm. yeah for sure and i think that that applies directly to isaac as well that 
you know, yes, Abraham shielded him from the anxiety of the, the three-day journey here, but it, Isaac proves himself later on that he's, he's willing to go along with the, the Lord as well. He didn't get that revelation directly from God, but, but he got it through Abraham, and he knew that Abraham was, was always following the Lord. Uh, I think that that's a great testament to him, too. I wouldn't be surprised if he had many uh, other trials and stuff leading up to it that, that would have built his character in such a way that um, that leads to his correct choice and decision here. Uh, I love yeah. that on, um, where does it say? on page 213 that um, the sacrifice was to be a joint offering, Abraham and Isaac. This is both um, a, a trial kind of thing. Sometimes we, we focus so much on Abraham that, that Isaac, um, I, I mean, this is very much Isaac's trial as well. You know, I mean, he's being sacrificed on an altar. He's, he's the, the main person of the sacrifice here. Um, but what a, a great man Isaac is and what fun it will be to, to learn of his story in its fullness, uh, how he felt. And um, I mean, we have very few little things that, that point to, to his character other than this story that, yeah, he, he was submissive just like his father was. It was Can really interesting to go oh, ahead. Go ahead, Stefan. No, go ahead. I was just going to make a little comment. When you said on this three-day journey, it just kind of flashed back to the three-day journey Christ made in the atonement, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it was interesting that Isaac's concern was for his mother and his parents. I mm -hmm. thought that was really insightful. And it makes me want to go look at these Rembrandt paintings again. Um, because even though he had all this faith, he was, you know, they were both human and they both had emotions and feelings. And you can just see the tears going, running down his face, uh, you know, Abraham's face. And then you can see in the other painting where Isaac's eyes are looking at the angel and his dad doesn't even see the angel at this point and it just wants me to really see those again and to realize you know this is so an incredible story no wonder it's been told for the ages mm -hmm. yes for sure i i love that one 212 at the very bottom uh what isaac is imploring of his father fasten my bands so that i do not move about and tie back your garments so that none of my blood splashes on them, lest Sarah see it and be saddened. Uh, just before that, I, I started it <laughs> halfway through. It says, bind me well that I may not struggle at the anguish of my soul, and that a blemish may not be found in your offering. So even prior to Moses' day of the actual animal sacrifices that they're doing, Isaac is understanding that sacrifices cannot have blemish, that the, the Paschal lamb or the... Um, the, the symbol of Christ is without blemish here. Uh, again, just points to, to his knowledge of the, the gospel in, in its fullness here. Uh, he, he really gets it. And, and he never turns inward. He wants his dad's sacrifice to, to be without blemish. And then he wants his mother to, to not have to, to see any blood or uh, to, so that she wouldn't harm herself out of grief. Uh, kind of a thing I, you know, that's just so telling to, to him I can't imagine also I mean it would be enough for Abraham the grief of performing the act losing his son 
but then to add on top of that to tell tell uh, Sarah, mm -hmm. you know, and what is she going to say? And how do I even just break this to her? I just, I can't imagine just the, the weighing down and that pressure and pain. Yeah, for sure. On page 214 in the middle there, um, it says that Jewish tradition reports that Abraham expected to live a few days only after completing the sacrifice because of all of this that was happening. You know, um, his reputation's already kind of at stake here with the Ishmael and Hagar episode and, and here again with, with his son Isaac, but he doesn't care about any of that. His, his, his concern is for the people that he loves the most here. And how do I do this to Isaac? You know, like I should have more time with him. Uh, and, and how do I break this to Sarah? Like he was fully expecting to, to not live very much longer after this. This was kind of his ultimate final sacrifice. He, uh, his hair turns white uh, on this occasion. But this is, this is quite an ordeal. Well, and so then if he's sacrificing Isaac, he has to tell Sarah and then he dies and he knows she's going to be, I mean, I just can't imagine. Then she's left alone and just mm -hmm. all of that. I just can't imagine how incredibly overwhelming and the burden that that would be for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the actual test is almost more in the, the journey rather than the the sacrifice itself at, at the end. The sacrifice at the end is just the way to to kind of alleviate and, and pass the test versus, I mean, that's that whole three days there uh, on the trip and, and whatever amount of time it was prior. That, that's kind of the real test. When you're left to your own mind and letting it swirl with all the different uh, possibilities and outcomes and who's going to take it this way and, and how am I going to uh, rationalize everything like all of that is is a trial in and of itself having to deal with our own brain and our own natural man tendencies but but here it shows that, that he had overcome all of that all he needed to know was what god needed done i don't know about the rest of you but i just feel like you know i remember learning the story in sunday school and primary and and I, I just always felt like it was like, oh, he always asked to kill his son, sacrifice his son, and the Lord provide. And it was just kind of like you knew the end, and it was just kind of all glossed over. So I really appreciating it and really learning and getting into his heart. And just to read this chapter alone would not let you identify with Abraham as much without reading all the other things that he's been through. And so I've really appreciated that because it just seems like the whole story's always been glossed over and ah, the Lord provides and it's all good. And you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Yeah. I find that that's the way it is. And not to diss on Sunday school. It's an inspired program. I'm not trying to say that, but I mean, we just gloss over things so, so quickly. Um, you know, I mean, there might be one, maybe two lessons on Abraham in the Old Testament year. We bring up the Abrahamic blessings every once in a while, but that's why I love studying history and, and learning from all of these uh, texts and uh, writings that we have so that we can get a fuller picture, that we can actually see this drama and, and dive into their, their hearts and motivations, etc. I, I love that. I feel like I almost learned more about Jonah and Job growing up than Abraham. And I'm like, why? 
Why? <laughs> Abraham's a very glossed over kind of a prophet, which is weird because that's literally I'm finding what it comes down to the the blessings of Abraham and uh, all of that. No wonder President Nelson is trying to get us to to study it. And, how and this is our covenant. Not we don't have the Job covenant. We don't have the Jonah covenant. The Abraham, and yet, yeah, we just haven't learned about it. So I'm really grateful for this. Uh -huh. Yeah, and as we dive into Isaiah decoded, you know. Uh, Avraham talks about the three covenants, the Sinai covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the Abrahamic covenant. And now that I've really dove into the Abrahamic covenant, I'm like, okay, what is the Davidic covenant? I, I'm not sure on that one. The Sinai covenant, I can guess, you know, just a kind of a smattering, but like these are three main covenants that, that God has, has made and they're still in, in force. And yet <laughs> they're, they're very much left up for us to study. They're not just going to be spoon fed to us. It's a, a personal efforts required to learn about these covenants. Well, and then if you want to take, so go ahead. Sorry, Stefan. No, no, you go. You always say it better than me. Go ahead. <laughs> um, just two things. I never put this together about the ram being caught on page 216 in the thicket, right? Yeah. And, and the God now explained to Abraham that his descendants likewise would be trapped. So I thought, oh my goodness, because they'll be trapped through their sins and entangled by foreign powers. And of course, both the Northern tribe and the Southern Judah, uh, you know, and Israel, they both get taken away, right? Captive. So this is all symbolic. And then in page 217, it says, and it was God's desire to bless Abraham. And I think, okay, boy, do we really need to look at this differently? Because how often when we go through trials, do we say, you know, woe is me and why is this happening? And, and you know, what am I supposed to learn out of this? And here Abraham has such incredible faith that this was the Lord's way in being able to bless him. And boy, doesn't that shed a new light in this whole story. For sure. Exactly. And that goes right along with this on 217 at the bottom half. Um, how those covenants, God proves those covenants. As it says right here, it says, um, walk with me and be perfect. Abraham's three-day walk to Moriah in the depths of agony and loneliness turned out to be his closest walk yet with God, bringing the perfection and exaltation that God desired for him. So it's just the same, like he's proving the covenants that he will fulfill his side when he asked so much of him, but he made it beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the testimony to me and will build our strength that, we might be asked those hard things, but he's not, we're not going to do it alone. Mm -hmm. Did anybody think it odd? I, this is so much in the similitude of the savior that it was a goat and not a, a lamb. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. And, and why is that? Like what know. animals do we have in this story? We have three animals and they definitely point to, to different key elements in um this narrative here yeah what's the third the a donkey a goat and what's the third yeah the donkey the ram and then the lamb uh because abraham oh there was a lamb. did i miss that 
Um, where does it point that out? On page 220, the very top. Okay, I guess I'm um, calling the ram a goat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a ram. And then, um, let's see. Well, I guess it starts on uh, the previous page, just the last thing here. So 219, it says, um, and as Abraham had walked up the mountain to perform the sacrifice, he had promised Isaac that God would provide a lamb. What God provided that day was a ram. So where was the lamb? The answer comes only later, as recorded in the book of John, when John the Baptist sees Jesus and announces, behold, the Lamb of God. This is, or this was the fulfillment of Abraham's prophecy, uttered in the only conversation that Genesis records between Abraham and his posterity. So the whole, it was kind of like saying this was a similitude. This was, mm -hmm. okay, I got it. Yeah. Um, I also put on 217 that paragraph, well, it's just one sentence and it's the only paragraph. Only then did the reason for the terrible trial become apparent. It was God's design to bless Abraham, whereby a man suffers, said the rabbis. He is also exalted. Abraham suffered greatly through various trials, the most severe of which was when he bound his son upon the altar, yet thereby he was also exalted. And I just wrote, that's the ascending, the ascending and ascending. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? and that's everything about Isaiah decoded. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. When we dive into that book, it, that's literally the whole thing, the whole message. <laughs> so. Then also on 219, that last paragraph, it said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The words carry a distinct and intentional echo of God's ancient directive to Abraham to offer up his beloved son. And I just kind of wrote, Abraham's sacrifice secured the covenant while Christ's sacrifice secured all mankind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. I love that. I also really loved on um, 215, you know, as long as we're talking about reasons, for it, um, it says, it says, uh, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, but Jubilee has a different reading for the verse, not now I know, but not, but now I have shown and now I have made it known to all. And so I thought, you know, that's really true that um, he, he, sh he knew for himself, but also it taught us a great lesson too. And um, especially in the last days, like we said before, that many of us may have to go through something similar to the trial. So it was, a, I think it was a great example for all of his posterity, you know, and not just um, to cleanse and purify him. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. It, it's interesting that as we always are kind of prepped in the church that, oh yeah, we'll have an Abrahamic test and, and hopefully we pass it when it comes, you know. Uh, I know that it's kind of talked tongue-in-cheek here in this book as well. Uh, at one point he kind of uh, alludes to that, that, you know, this isn't about just one test that we're unprepared for and hopefully we pass it when it comes. This is uh, very methodical uh, testing and proving step by step, line upon line, and, and uh, we're we're working up to 
uh, bigger and, and better things all the time as we ascend the ladder to heaven. And so, you know, like there, there's multiple Abrahamic tests in our lives and, um, and there's actually joy in, in not passing them because that we learn and then we get a second shot at it and we keep moving and progressing. It's not like uh, you get a, a one shot um, opportunity to, to make it into the celestial kingdom. And, and if you don't pass it, then you're going to hell kind of thing. This is the Lord has a loving plan for each of us. We're all going to be tested and tried in our own ways. And, um, uh, and we, we learn a lot about ourselves in the process. Uh, I was just listening to the, the triumph of Zion, um, audio as I was working today. And, um, uh, some of the things that it was pointing out in there, I was like, holy cow, the last time I read this book, I did not have that, um, that blessing in my life where I didn't have this, but then I, I'm starting to recognize that the Lord has been incrementally um, testing me, improving me, um, as some of those things were, were being talked about in the book. And I was like, man, I just didn't even realize them at the time, uh, yet um, I, I can always look back and, and see the Lord's loving hand throughout the whole process. Like, like this is amazing. Uh, the, the Lord always provides um, uh, a very customized uh, plan for each one of us, which, which is so amazing how he even wraps his head around all of us and in our individual circumstances in order to create um, our perfect um, pattern of, of testing and trying and proving. Um, let's see. So as we kind of go to like page 218 um i find it interesting throughout this chapter it, it reiterates a few times the sacrifice of all things um uh, there at the bottom of the first paragraph um it says that an event that shows that if a man would attain to the keys of the kingdom of an endless life he must sacrifice all things so just throwing that out there, what does it mean to sacrifice all things? Uh, like literally give up everything or is it just our desires or, or in order to inherit eternal life, especially the keys of the kingdom of an endless life, what does it mean? And, and how do we actively pursue that? Is it just something that we just endure to the end kind of a thing or, or, what does that mean? What, what does that look like for everyone? Yeah, um, that's the first time anyone's ever raised their hand, I think. <laughs> oh, what you got? Um, well, I remember a quote, I think it's by, I'm not sure if it's by Maxwell, but he said um, that we have to sacrifice our will. That's the biggest thing because God's given us everything else. And if you look up the definition for will, because I didn't really know what that meant. And it means our desires, our wishes, our opinions, our beliefs, everything that we think, you know, God knows everything and we really don't know. So it's where we learn to trust God with what we want and what we think, because, you know, he knows what's best for us. 
And sometimes we think we do and we want to take the lead, you know, and <laughs> it's like, um, I think that's the hardest thing to give up is our will to God. Yeah. Um, and that's really all we have to sacrifice, really. Yeah, because everything else is a, a gift that we already have kind of thing. Right. That's the only thing that's truly ours that we can willingly give up. And, so, and we're asked to sacrifice that one thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's hard because it's usually our pride because, you know, it's usually what we think and believe is right. Sometimes we pit it against God or we pit it against somebody else, you know, like, well, I think I know what's best for you, you know, and it's everybody has their agency to choose what's best for them, you know, according to how they perceive God's laws or, you know, how they choose to live them. But yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's just, we have to give that up. And that's, that's a natural man thing. And it's really difficult sometimes to give that up. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. That will makes me think of Martin Harris with wanting the 116 pages, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking he knew what was best. But I'm also thinking of Martin Harris, like while it's our will, sometimes our will is to hold on to our possessions and how he willingly mortgaged his farm because the Lord asked him to. And so sometimes maybe our will is our possessions. He's thinking, my wife's gonna hate me. My wife's gonna leave me. My, you know, it was more than just the farm. It was, there was a lot and um, that he gave up. And, and so I think sometimes that's the same with us mm -hmm. is our will is also, and here Abraham's will was his son, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's, interesting. it's whatever we put above the Lord, you know, if we yeah. put things or our own desires or our own thoughts above the Lord or possessions above, they become idols or they become whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally so. agree. Thank you, Elle. Yeah, I think that idolatry is seriously one of the biggest things that we'll ever face in this life uh, actually giving it up because a lot of times um we don't even recognize it um people people all of us because <laughs> this applies to everyone anyone that that has an idol they they do it because they are in it they they don't have a, a proper perspective on it kind of a thing and and it's not until you actually give it up that you see how much you were engrossed in it kind of a thing and that's why it's like seriously the number one commandment love god worship him only um if there's only one god and anything else that we set up it's always been the downfall of the children of israel ever since day one it's always been idolatry uh, in one shape uh, or another it, it takes different forms in every person and culture and, and time frame but idolatry is huge. And um, once we break our, ourselves of some of those habits and, and things and can finally see what we've been doing and then willingly giving our broken heart over at the sacrament altar to him so that we can get a new heart and, and really transform ourselves like here I, I've made a mess of my life here you go <laughs> it's, it's all I got but I really do desire 
your will above mine because obviously mine didn't work out so well <laughs> kind of a, a principle i i love that imagery thank you um interesting as uh it, it points out in a couple couple different ways here um on page 221 where it talks about uh, enoch and metatron there um and then on which page is it? Uh, 215. That um, there, there's a lot more people than just who we've assumed is this. The story is about. We have Abraham and Isaac, and this angel that comes down, and possibly God. Like there's, when we think of the the story, typically we're thinking about like three to four characters, but here we're seeing lots of people involved in this whole. Uh, event uh, thing here. So the, the rabbinic texts tell of the angels weeping and pleading with God to stop the sacrifice. Um, we have the, the ministering angels there, then an angel is sent. Um, and uh, I, I find it interesting, again, on page 221, the, the second to last paragraph, hence on Mount Moriah, Zion above had interceded for Zion below and particularly for the benefit of Latter-day Zion. Uh, I, I just love that. Enoch, this book has opened my eyes to Enoch and, and his role in the Abraham story and the, the Latter-day story, that, that Zion is, is always working on our behalf in, in so many ways that we just don't even know. Um, but but this is the future site of the Jerusalem temple, Mount Moriah. This is a, a key time, a key place, and, and key people here that the covenant is, is being made. And, and Zion is crucial in, in all of it. Um, they, they seen forward, they seen their posterity, and, and they're always pleading on our behalf and, and interceding for, for us. They, they very much are seraphs and, and saviors on Mount Zion. You know, Abraham was, as we've learned in earlier chapters, was given the visions of the world, right? So he knew what Mount Moriah was going to be. And he knew about Zion in the latter days and Christ touching upon the Mount of Olives and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he can't help but to think of all those thoughts that must have been going through his head as he was making this three-day journey because I'm not sure that Isaac would had seen any visions at this point knowing what Mount Moriah was and that that was the Temple Mount and you know holy holy place for even the Muslim world the third holiest place for the Muslim world and you know it's, it's interesting and I like you I never thought that, you know, I just think that, gosh, Enoch's been a pretty busy guy, you know? It's just amazing how many people play a part in all this. And I never realized that Enoch was, was so involved. And then I had this thought, well, Enoch's, and maybe this is a, I mean, I don't know the answer on this, but I mean, Enoch created a Zion city, right? Mm -hmm. You know, was he the first? Well, we know. I think that he's probably the only city that was, or the first city taken up, right? 
to 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 heaven, which yeah. will come back. And the question is, you know, was was he the pattern for the rest of us in creating Zion? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's very interesting. Like when we think of the the ministering angels or archangels or whatever you want to call it for our day, we we typically think of Moroni, uh, Peter, James, and John. Um, Moses, Elias, and Elijah, but oftentimes we, we don't even, uh, it doesn't even enter the head to, to think about Abraham, Enoch, Noah, these ones that actually made the covenant for the latter days, um, but, but look at how active they were then in, in not just their own dispensation, but others, and, and what are they doing for us today? Uh, we know Enoch's role uh in the future but I, I don't think it just stops there you know i think he's been active the the entire time interceding on our behalf and what things and and blessings um are are we just maybe not even realizing that that they're acting on on our behalf uh, all throughout this restoration as as we we keep getting things restored all the time And, um, and Cameron, and then he dedicates the the place for the temple. Well, well, he's like, oh, by the way, I'll just do this while I'm here. Yeah. You know, it's important. But I wanted you to in the chat. El has a a scripture there that I kind of forgot about, but it's in Matthew. There, that's a really good scripture mm -hmm. pertains to this. Yeah, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I, that, that's a pretty pointed scripture right there. And sometimes, you know, I, I've been guilty of it too, but um, sometimes the defense for having uh, family beach days or whatever on a Sunday, you know, it's like, oh, well, family time trumps everything else kind of a thing. But you know that that's the scripture that always comes to, to mind when I when I think of that. No, God is the most important. Family comes after that. We have to get our priorities right here. <laughs> yeah, that, that's huge. It's always God first in everything. That's why it's the first commandment. Um let's see, it seemed like there was other thing that I was going to talk about. So Cameron, or anyone out there, why do you think he took those other two lads with him? <laughs> you know, what's that all about? You know, I don't even have a guess. The more I read it, the more it seems highly significant, yet I can't quite put my finger on it. There's, There's got to be symbolism. It's pointing to, to things. Like when we're looking at the whole sacrifice, well, looking at the sacrifice as a whole, it's always pointing to Christ and his sacrifice during his mortal ministry. Are mm -hmm. there some uh, types and shadows pointing what to is, two lads there? Maybe because he needs to witness. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I thought about, you know, the disciples as Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane yeah. where they sat you know and waited while he was suffering 
maybe that maybe that has something to do with it. Mm -hmm. I, that makes sense. Yeah, because it's kind and of also, oh, also I was thinking the the three days, you know, that that he suffered alone. I I thought about how that kind of paralleled the Garden of Gethsemane, where you know it was before the actual event that he suffered so much, just like Christ suffered so much in the Garden of Gethsemane before the actual event of the crucifixion. So I don't know, maybe there's a parallel there yeah. or something, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think there's a lot of here and, it, <laughs> and he had Isaac pack the wood too. You know, just yes. I had, had to pack his cross. So I think there's, I think you're spot on on this, really. Uh, I like what you said, Cindy, about that. I remember when um, I lived in Israel for a while and being taught by David Galbraith, and I remember him saying that Gethsemane was a spiritual trial, and that has to come before your physical trial. And, you know, you can't go through the physical without first rectifying and, and going through the spiritual trial and, and being in line with Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. What an amazing opportunity to, to go live in Israel and be taught by Galbraith. Like, that's, that's got some stories right there. <laughs> I'm going to need to pick your brain on that one sometime. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting uh, on the bottom of 208 when we're talking about the, these uh, servants and lads. So it he says that he rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. He did it himself, although he had many servants. And then he took his two lads. I mean, he could have said it, he took a couple of lads with him, you know, like somebody from his group, whatever. But it, it seems to, to look like he had two lads and, and they're, they're his and there might only be two of them. I don't know. It, it's interesting how it's worded. I, I, I think that they're, what, what Cindy's got going on here is, is very uh, telling uh, with the, the symbolism towards uh, Gethsemane, etc. Were they like, because they called him his lads, were they like manservants? Like his personal, kind of like Hagar was to Sarah? Possibly. I don't know. Yeah, you know, kind of how in English culture we have like maids and butlers, you know, the that kind of a thing that um, we have the handmaiden and these lads that are kind of waiting on, on Abraham kind of thing that he had two of those. It's possible. Yeah. You know, he had um, Eleazar that was his special servant there, the one that he sent to pick out the wife for or Isaac, but I don't know how how old can you be and still be a lad? I don't know. <laughs> and I always pictured Eliezer as being older, but maybe he was younger than I thought. Too. Well, compared to Abraham, he was a lad, no matter how <laughs> old he was. <laughs> there you, there you go. <laughs> and it's interesting to note that Eliezer is the one that gets translated up to to the city of Venus. That's right. I, he's very crucial in this the whole story here with uh, if he is one of the lads, Mount Moriah, 
and then picking out Isaac's wife and then um, actually being translated later on that could very well be. Hmm. Maybe he could... is Elias. Huh? Maybe he is Elias. We know that Elias, you know, Moses, Elias, and Elijah. Elias comes from the dispensation of Abraham. Maybe Eliezer is, is a good candidate for that. Who knows? Oh, my goodness. You know what? Maybe you could ask this question of our <laughs> Yes. <author. laughs> <laughs> yeah, so who are the lads? Yeah. One of my questions for him is, do you have any insights into to Elias? He comes from the dispensation of Abraham, and you've studied Abraham extensively. Who's Elias? <laughs> I want to pick his brain on that one. In the, um, I listened to some uh, pods this week with um, uh, on the DNC, and they talked about Elijah and Elijah, Elias. Elias in the Greek means Elijah, and also obviously as a forerunner, and that. And it was really interesting to to get into that and, and to look at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would love those. If you have like a link or something that you could send me, I would love to, to listen to those. It's remembering him with John, by the way, and, okay. and uh, you know, but yeah, you bet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. John, by the way, he's, he's such a great guy. Um, anyway, so uh, kind of going into the homework and we'll come back for kind of final thoughts. Um, so homework as we're moving forward obviously we're, we're getting more of the to do's rather than the to studies so this week or at least prior to, to conference because this might take a, a little while but uh, take a your own three-day journey and and find out what the lord needs you to sacrifice next uh, a personal sacrifice of of whatever the the lord actually uh, reveals to you uh, just like Abraham says, here am I, Lord, what's next <laughs> kind of thing. Make sure to um, to hear him. And I think that this will be a, a very growing and telling experience for you if you accept that challenge, um, taking your own three-day journey. I know that it's, it's really blessed my life as I've uh, really started seeking to sacrifice. I mean, not just letting sacrifice stumble upon me, you know, like whenever I'm asked to do something, I'll do it, you know, like, oh, kind of the principle of a calling, you know, like, don't just wait to get a calling in order to actually magnify your life in service of others, but actually seek those kind of things, you know, seek ministering and, and seek opportunities. This is along the same lines. Seek sacrifice. Uh, learn how and when the, the Lord can reveal to you what you need to, to, to give up next. It, it may be something very much like Isaac, where uh, he tells you to, to do something insurmountable, and yet uh, you don't actually have to go through with it in, in the very end kind of a thing. Or it might be something to, to cut out of your life completely, and, and, and you'll be blessed for it. But uh, Take your own three-day journey and uh, uh, really pray and, and fast and, and find out what the Lord needs you to sacrifice next. All right. What, what are some, some final thoughts? Anything that we missed or skipped over that, that you'd like to discuss really quickly before we head on out for the week? 
I would like to mention just how um, how Isaac, you know, we already talked about how he said, find me well that I may not struggle and fasten my band so I do not move about. How his father was sacrificing and his son trusted the father enough to be sacrificed and how it's a three-way relationship fought the father the son and his son and how we have to lay down our pride and lay down all of all that we have in in a kind of in the same kind of way and I just that just hit me how much his father taught him and how Abraham's life and, and his example had impacted his son. And just the, that it's, it's a beautiful story, as sad and scary as it is. But I just, I thought that was, and how we need to do that. We need to have that much faith in our father. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I love the, um, how President Nelson has told us to let the Lord prevail. And this has now become my favorite story for a perfect example of how to make that happen. That's mm -hmm. so good. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, it's been fun again. <laughs> I'm grateful for, for everyone coming and participating and stuff. Um, just a quick reminder, next week, 7 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time um for for the author if you have any pre submitted questions you want to you want to ask i'll be sending those right after uh we end tonight so hurry and uh email or text or whatever uh, those over to me um but yeah uh it's not going to be recorded so it's going to you're not going to want to miss that uh, when did week. you say you're sending it uh -huh, just right after this class so like maybe like in 10 minutes or so oh don't give us too much time or anything cameron <laughs> <laughs> thank you, you. <laughs> you've done such a good job thank you <laughs> yeah. all right well yeah it's been fun we'll we'll see y'all next week next sunday thank you bye-bye thank you